go-to is, God, I need you. This is, you know, this is desperate. Please do not take my son. When I walked into the hospital, I had already had the assurance that God was going to work this out. I didn't know how, but I knew that he was not going to take John. On the Charisma Podcast Network, I'm Missy Montgomery, and today I'm joined over the phone with both Joy Smith and Jason Noble. How are you guys doing today? Good, thank you. Of course. Doing great, thanks. So this is such, you know, an inspirational story. Um, just briefly, Joyce, she is the author of The Impossible. Um, so let's just kind of begin and give a little background to our listeners exactly what the story entails. Uh, we this is just a you know you want to say unbelievable but nothing is impossible with God I guess for man it's unbelievable uh, the story of how God t- took a 14 year old boy and two other 14 year olds and absolutely just put them in the palm of his hand and and protected them and brought my son John back to life from a horrible situation accident and just the just the tapestry of miracles that surround it. And you talk a little bit about, you know, your son and the story of bringing him back to life. So let's talk about that day. Can you tell us the story, kind of walk us through what that entailed and what that was like? Uh, Yes, it was on a Monday, uh, January the 19th, 2015. And that was Martin Luther King's day. They were off of school. And uh, as typical boys, you know, they're out looking for adventure. And uh, we had something that doesn't normally happen here in St. Louis. We had uh, a pretty brittle, uh, brutal cold spell for a couple of weeks, and so the lakes froze over here. And um, so the boys had been, they had spent the night over at their friend Josh Rieger's house to celebrate a pretty good-sized basketball when they'd been losing quite a bit. They were all played on the same basketball team, went to school together. And... Uh, they got bored and decided they were going to go out and uh, have some fun. And so the park wasn't far from Josh Rieger's house and where the lake was. And they got bored playing at the park, and they decided that they were going to go and try the ice out. And uh, they had done it the night before, so they were, you know, I think probably a little more secure with this than what they should have been. But overnight, uh, warm it came in warm like it does here. It would be 71 70 one day and the next day be 20 so we'd had one of those kind of weather phenomenals phenomenons and they uh got out and decided they were going to try the ice out and uh, play on it and or skied around and play penguin on it i think is what they called it and uh, so they got out a little bit too far i called my son to talk about when we were going to pick him up and what we were going to do for the rest of the day and uh as he was walking and talking, he got further and further out on the ice and to the point where it was too thin. And the, the fire department uh, kind of explained it as when it gets warm like that, it starts melting, but it gets like spongy and it'll start like bowing in the center and water starts collecting on top. And that's what had happened with John. And so all three of them were far enough out that when John went down under the water, uh, he fell into the water. The ice started breaking around them, 
and the other two boys ran to help them, and all three of them fell into the water. And it, mm-hmm. it was, you know, the boys talk about it. It's, it's you go from having fun to be fighting for your life in just a split second. Right. And uh, so, you know, it's, I and again, I'm having no idea at all. I've talked to John, but when I talked to him on the phone, I had no idea when I was talking with him that he was out on the ice. So I'm at home thinking I'm going to pick him up in about a half hour or so and not knowing that at that very moment he was fighting for his life. Wow. It's so crazy to think that, you know, just in an instant how things can change like that. And, you know, you talk about fighting for his life, you know, laying lifeless in a hospital. What was that like for you? Because I think a lot in these moments, a lot of people have two kind of choices they either do. They either just pray fiercely or they start blaming God. So kind of talk us through that process of how you decided to pray so fiercely in that moment. And Jason, you can also chime in and talk about kind of as the family pastor, what advice, you know, you were able to give Joyce. Yeah, definitely. Um, I At that moment, we at our, at our church, we were in Bible study, uh, ladies' Bible study, and we'd been studying Beth Moore's uh, book, uh, Believing God. Mm-hmm. And... I, I don't believe that was an accident. I believe that was God-ordained because in the homework, uh, each morning you recited um, some beliefs that you have. I believe God is who he says he is. I believe God can do what he says he can do, and I'm believing God. I mean, you're really putting your faith out there, and you're just talking about what it means to have faith in God and who he is. And so when I heard that this happened, I mean, like when you get the telephone call, you know that they just pulled your son out of the water and he's been he's been under the water for a while and he mm-hmm. has no heartbeat. I mean, any mother's reaction is going to be panic at first, you know, and you're, you just can't believe what you're hearing. It, it becomes surreal. And uh, so... And at that point, he'd been under for 15 minutes oh, yeah. without oxygen. At that oxygen. point, without oxygen. They were able to get the other two boys out. One of the boys self-rescued, and then the other one had to be pulled out because hypothermia had set mm-hmm. in, and he could no longer feel his arms and make them move. You know, it was it's just just a horrid situation. And so I got in the car, and I, I can honestly tell you, I don't really really remember how I got to the hospital. I mean, I was driving, but, you know, to tell you what was going on, other than I was frantically trying to call my husband and anyone who I could get to answer the telephone to tell them what had happened. But I was also praying because that was my first go-to. When when someone tells you that your son doesn't have a heartbeat, the only person that holds that heartbeat in their hands is God. Right. And so that was that was my first go-to is God Hey, I need you. This is, you know, this is desperate. Please do not take my son. And we had adopted John, and we had prayed for 17 years for him, you know, that we wanted a child. We, my, I have three older boys from a previous marriage, but my husband and I had lost two babies when we first got married, and we were never ever to have, able to have children again. So John was our gift from God and our answer to prayer. And here I am. Here we are in the process of, you know, if God didn't undertake, we were going to lose him. And so I just started interceding, you know, God, please don't take him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, even though, you know, all the stuff is going on and around you, 
it's kind of like you're walking in a bubble and everything around you is slow motion because of what's going on. And it was just kind of me and God at that point in time. I mean, there was other, I could see what other things were going on, but at that point in time, it was a very intense conversation between he and I. And when I walked into the hospital, I had already had the assurance that God was going to work this out. I didn't know how, but I knew that he was going, not going to take John. Mm-hmm. And Jason, a little bit about, you know, you said that you were there through it all, you know, in the first yeah. couple of days of the hospital. Talk about like your role, like during that, you know, also as a friend, but also as the family's pastor. Definitely. So Joyce walked in and he had been without oxygen uh, for over an hour at the point that she walked in. Um, and with that, and I'll let her kind of tell more of that, but um, after an hour, they were getting ready to call time of death with John. Mm. Um, and we had found out later on that only there's not, they've looked for two years around the world to see if there's another case like John where a person survived from this kind of uh, water grounding, and there's not. So, I mean, it was, it was really an impossible situation. Um, Joyce walked into the emergency room, uh, cried out to God desperately, Holy Spirit, bring my son back, and he got a heartbeat. Oh, and from wow. that moment, they, they, they transferred him, they put him on a helicopter and transferred him down to Children's Hospital, where, um, which is Cardinal Glennon in St. Louis, um, where he happened to have the area expert on hypothermia and grounding. And when he got to the hospital, the doctors would say that they were literally transferring him from one hospital to the other hospital to die, um, mm-hmm. even once they got the heartbeat, because somebody being without oxygen and a pulse for an hour, I mean, is unheard of, mm-hmm. and surviving. So the doctors had walked in and told Joyce that um, basically he was brain dead, and he had rudimentary brain function, just enough to keep breathing, um, and that was it. He wouldn't make it through the night, they didn't think. And if he did, possibly there was a 1% chance that he would make it through the night, um, that he would be a vegetable. So they had asked Joyce what, how, you know, how far they wanted, you know, the parents wanted them to go to save John, what they wanted to do with his organs. And that's when Joyce stood up, and she was holding on to the truth that God gave her and told the doctors, I hear you're the best in town. You do what you can do, and God will do the rest. And there's not to be any negative speaking, because we really believe in the power of speaking life. Um, the scripture that says the power of life and death is in the tongue, we really held on to that tightly throughout that. So I walked in at that moment, and Joyce came out and said, we need to go pray. John is in tough situation. I mean, in a tough situation, all of his organs were in um, catastrophic failure. There were things, there was about 10 different things that were going on with John that if they didn't get fixed, um, would kill him, you know, uh, after he had came back to life. So with that, we walked into his room. We called a group of pastors and walked into his room and began to pray. We prayed two things, Lord, and very specific prayers. We feel like specific prayers are so important in a moment like this, uh, where you specifically get on your knees and ask God for what needs to happen. And um, there were two things that needed to happen. One, that he would get his breath, that God would just breathe his breath into those lungs and heal him. And so we started to pray for that. We just prayed the breath of God would just breathe in. And all of a sudden, I turn around, and I see two angels in the room that were floor to ceiling. And I've seen the angels in the room before uh, when I've been in rooms praying for people uh, that had been healed. So I knew that God was there. The angels were there to protect John and to guard him. And at that moment, we turned back around, and John overbreathed his respirator, opened his eyes, and kind of his shoulders came off the bed a little bit. 
and and then went back to just laying down. And so then we continued to pray. We're like, man, God is doing something in this room. Continued to pray, and over its head saw like a million rainbow colors. Like God was just showing up in that room. And the best way I could explain it, we prayed that God would just knit his brain back together again and recreate the impulses. And you could just hear, like I heard in my spirit, like God was mm-hmm. putting his brain back together again. And at that moment, he opened his eyes. And I mean, his shoulders came off the mat and I saw life. And I knew, um, I knew it. And I walked out of the room and I told Joyce what had happened. And I said, Joyce, John's going to walk out of here. And Joyce said, I know he is. And so from that moment forward, it was still a fight. There were still multiple things. Uh, it would be... 16 days in the hospital. Um, the next morning I walk in and he's still, I'd been there till like 2.30 in the morning, and the next morning I walk in and he's still on all the vent, I mean, still just fighting for his life. Um, I walked up to his bed and saw tears coming out of his eyes and I said, hey, it's Pastor Jason, do you want me to stay with you uh, today? And he shook his head, I mean, you could just see it. And, uh, and it was funny because I look at Joyce and Joyce, I go, hey, did you see what John's doing? And we saw it. I mean, we saw life. Mm-hmm. We saw signs of life. The doctors were trying to tell us all along, no, that's not possible. There's no way. It's just typical people on a, you know, typical things of what they do when they're on a respirator. But we knew it. And so from that point forward, I was in the room with Joyce and John for about 18 hours a day for the first seven days. And we held the atmosphere. We prayed. We got a hold of God. We encouraged each other. And John walked out of the hospital completely healed 16 days later. Wow. What an inspirational story. I mean, I have goosebumps just listening to this. And Joyce, that's why I want to ask you, you know, why take this story and make it into a book for others to read? What was kind of the reasoning behind that? Um, That was totally a God thing. And I'll tell you what, (laughs) excuse me, we knew that God was going to do something amazing with the story, but we didn't know how it was going to play out. And I told Jason at that time, I said, I don't know what, but I think for about a year from now, I said, this is just going to be blown. I mean, the Lord's just going to blow the doors off of this. And so uh, Sammy Rodriguez, I don't know if you know who he is, Pastor Sammy Rodriguez. He's Mm -hmm. from um, Sacramento, California. He has a church out there. He's one of the pastors that prayed at the inauguration this year, this Mm -hmm. past year. And so... um, he had been. He had heard about the story. He picked it up on USA Today, and what had caught his attention about it is that it was declaring uh, secular media was declaring it a miracle. And so he started looking into the story. He Googled it, and he started talking about it on his TV program. And my brother-in-law happened to see it, and he called me. He said, "You need to get a hold of him and let him hear the whole story. You know what God really did." And so. I looked up, looked him up on Facebook, and I sent him a message. I said, I'm John Smith's mom. Would you like to know the whole story? Thinking, you know, am I ever going to hear back from him? Right. Very next day, I got a, a note back from him. said, yes, um, I'd love to hear the story. Would you like to be on TBN? And I said, I'll shout this story from the mountaintops. And so for the next year, we're going back and forth on when we're going to be out there. The thing got changed three different times when we were supposed to be there. We show up, and uh, we meet another young man there having no idea who he is. And so he does. we do our segment on the show. He comes back and does his segment, and we're talking in the green room, and he wants to know about our story. And so we start telling about it. For 45 minutes, we talked to this young man having no idea who God had put in the room with us. And so when he gets, when he gets finished listening to us, he goes, um, I 
this sounds just like the story that I just did, Miracles from Heaven. I'm Devon Franklin, and I produced that movie, and I'm really interested in your story. So here God is taking us, tuck us in a green room with a movie producer from Hollywood, and here we are two years later with a book and a movie coming out. And, I mean, we didn't go looking for any of it. God brought it to us. I mean, and it's just been amazing to watch God open up the doors that he has over the last two years. It, it is just miraculous. So, again, people, it's funny because people ask us, well, how do you get a book published? I said, I don't know. <laughs> you have to talk to God about that. He's the one that, you know, orchestrated all of this. And so it was because of Devon Franklin and, you know, God uh, uh, putting us there. It was just amazing. Jason has a friend that works out in, in Hollywood with Sonny uh, productions, and he mm-hmm. called him up, and he said, hey, do you know who Devon Franklin is? He goes, yeah, how do you know him? Jason told him the story. He goes, do you have any idea what God just did for you? He said, because he gave you 45 minutes face time with this man that people in Hollywood would give anything to have five minutes on the phone with him. Wow. Wow, God was on the move for sure with this, and just let our listeners know that, you know, have been listening and are really, you know, inspired and want to learn not only more about your story, read it and watch the movie. Tell us where they can get information about the book. Well, you can go to our website, which is the impossiblebook.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, um, which is the impossible book. And uh, then um, you can get the book on Amazon. Uh, you can also order it from our website. Uh, there's about five different distributors that you can pick it, uh, pick from on our website. And uh, so it's from it's with uh, FaithWord Books, uh, Hachette Publishing. And uh, we're excited. It came out November the 7th of uh, 2017. And we've just it's just been amazing to watch as, you know, God has, opened up the doors to for us to show this book. I mean, we've spent, we've um, got to do several television ex, um, interviews, um, and it's it's just been amazing to watch how God uses those to touch people and, and people getting back with us and, and telling us how God has taken this story and just changed their life and how they look and believe God and you know, how it's restored their faith. And I'm sure also our listeners... On the, the movie front, on the movie front, if I could throw that in, 20th Century Fox and Devon Franklin uh, will be producing the movie. It goes into production on the 26th of March, so uh, we're just a couple days away from that. Chrissy Metz is going to be playing Joyce, oh, wow. uh, which is us, and they've got some other great cast announcements that are coming up. Uh, so it'll be in theaters Easter of 2019. So, wow, that's awesome! About that. And I'm sure our listeners yeah. are excited to see that as well as reading the books and. You know, Joyce and Jason, I just appreciate you guys so much for coming out, uh, for joining our show today and just telling us uh, John's story and just the amazing impact that God had on not only his life, but yours as well. So we appreciate you uh, joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And you've been listening to Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Missy Montgomery. Regent University is one of the fastest growing universities in the nation experiencing 21% growth from summer 2016 to summer 2017. This fully accredited university offers associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees within an innovative learning environment that includes the option of enrolling solely on campus in Virginia Beach, Virginia, 
100% online, or you can use a blend of both. Since its establishment in 1978, Regent has equipped 23,000 alumni from 125 countries to become accomplished professionals. Guided by a mission of Christian leadership to change the world, the school prepares students with the knowledge to excel and the faith to live with purpose. To learn more or to request information, just visit learn.regent.edu. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.